0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the episode.
1: Well, I'm, I'm too far gone. I've sinned too much in order to, in order to, for God to accept me. Have you ever, you ever heard that? I have, many times. And I can think of times, even in this city, of witnessing to people and sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. And they say, no, you don't know what I've done. No, He can, he can save the worst among us. There is no one who is still breathing that is beyond the reach of the grace and the love and the mercy of God. And that's a blessing. Let's find Matthew chapter number 11. And the children in fourth grade and below are dismissed at Children's Church just down on these doors. So uh, you can go there fourth grade and below. And if you want if you want to stay in, you're welcome to. And I also want to say this as you're turning to Matthew chapter number 11. I want to encourage you, if you, uh, you receive to worship God in the way in, inside of there is a is a uh, a set of notes that will help you to follow along and the reason that we put those in there every Sunday is I hope that as you go home that you're remembering to study over and to go back to what we've learned on Sundays that it's not just something that we hear and hear for a few minutes and then we go on our way. Um, But it's something that you're you're taking with you. So most of the scripture that we'll be covering today are found inside of the notes. But as well, the outline and some of the other uh, information that we'll be dealing with. So I encourage you to follow along in that way. If you're there at Matthew 11, say amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and we're going to read a portion of scripture here this morning. Matthew chapter number 11 and beginning in verse number 15. Now, let me just set up the context for this. Uh, um, Excuse me. I'm going to need to take a drink in a second. Uh, Let me set up the context for uh, for you. John the Baptist, how many of you remember who John the Baptist is? He's the the one who uh, prepared the way for the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. So John the Baptist is now, having done his uh, assignment, he he has declared the the Lord Jesus Christ. He's prepared the way, and now he's sitting in prison because there's some political leaders that really don't like the message that he's uh, preaching. They don't like the truth that he's bringing out, in fact, he, uh, he went a little bit too far and he, uh, he said against one of the kings, hey, you shouldn't have taken your brother's wife and married her. Uh, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have divorced your own wife and, and, and married your brother's wife. You shouldn't have done that. And the king didn't like that. So now he's in prison and he's awaiting execution. So as he's awaiting execution, he's beginning to wonder, huh, is my preaching, all that I've done for Jesus Christ, the Messiah that I was preparing the way for, is this all in vain? And so, Jesus is going to send a message back to him saying, listen, I've done all these miracles. My miracles prove that I am absolutely God. I am absolutely the Messiah. And so he sends John's two disciples back to him and saying, listen, tell them everything that you've seen and everything that you heard and tell them that the gospel is being preached to the poor. Tell them that all this is going on through my ministry. And in that context, Jesus begins to. Uh, really get after the crowd there in Galilee and say, listen, why didn't you believe John the Baptist when he was preaching out in the wilderness? Why didn't you believe his word? What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a man that's really in soft raiment and is kind of, you know, a a a popular man, a man that is really popular like a political figure? Uh, if you wanted that type of thing, go to the palaces. That's where those guys were. But you weren't going to find that in John the Baptist. But why didn't you believe him? Is there is this question? And, uh, and at that point, Jesus begins to preach a message to the, the crowd that's, that's seeing these disciples come from John and ask, is my preaching all in vain? Are you the Messiah or do we still look for another? And so the crowd that's observing all that, Jesus has a message for. And that's going to be our message today, Jesus' message to that crowd. And we're going to see how it begins with a plea. Here in verse number 15, we'll read it, and ends with an invitation. And so let's look at verse number 15 together, Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 15. The Bible, says, the Bible says this, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's read that out loud together. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now listen as I read on. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? Is It, like unto, uh, it, it is like unto the children sitting in the markets and saying unto their fellows... And saying, we have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating uh, nor drinking. And they say, he hath a devil. He's demon-possessed. Verse number 19. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. In other words... The fruit of their ministry is the proof of what their ministry really was. It wasn't, it wasn't demon-possessed, gluttonous, and, uh, and wine-drinking uh, individuals. Verse number 20. And, th- and then began he, Jesus, to abrade, to sharply criticize the cities wherein, now notice, most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon being uh, heathen, uh, very Gentile cities that were against God. But I say unto you, verse 22, it shall be more tolerant for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou Capernaum, which are exalted up unto the heavens, thou shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in where? Sodom. It would uh, have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Sodom is an Old Testament city that was judged for their own. Totally being given over to homosexuality. And so the word sodomy comes from this city that God destroyed for their, their, their pride, their arrogance against God, and their, their abandoning of biblical truth, of, uh, of God's truth. And so God uh, destroyed the city. He's saying, hey, Capernaum, if I had been alive and had visited Sodom, they would have repented. You haven't done this. You've had all this light, but you haven't done this. Let's read on. Verse 25, at that time, so notice... The Bible is giving us a a timeline. At that time, Jesus answered and said, here's what he does. I thank thee, Father. He prays a prayer. Lord of heaven and earth, which he is, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto who? Babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my father. And no man knoweth the son but the father. Now notice these words. Neither knoweth any man the father, save the son. And then notice. And he to whom whosoever the son will reveal him. No way to know the father but through the son. Now, I want you to read verse 28 good and loud with me. Let me know that you're here this morning. Verse 28, ready and begin. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, can't you say an amen to that? Amen. Amen. That is what Jesus is calling us to. That's his invitation. He that hath ears, let him hear. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. This is the message for every single one of us. And you may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this truth, this passage of Scripture that you preached on the occasion of one of your greatest servants really going through a season of doubt and wondering if you were the the true Messiah or if we look for another. I thank you that your works declare that you indeed were the true Messiah, that you not only did marvelous works as you went throughout your ministry on earth, but you died for us at the cross. You were buried for three days and then you rose again bodily, proving, proving once and for all that you are very God. And today we gather in your presence. Lord, you told us that you designed this thing called church. We didn't come up with it and so we delight in gathering together as your church, a called out assembly from the world to yourself. Thank you. Now, Lord, I ask that if there's anyone that needs to come to you today and to receive the rest that only you can give, I pray that they'd make that step of faith today. And I pray for each one of us that we would live out that rest in our daily lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me just say that the preaching time of the Word is the most important time of the Word. So I'm going to ask you just to put on your thinking caps. I love personally, if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I love personally getting out of pen and writing down things as God shows me things that I need to remember. And so I'd encourage you in that way, write down, uh, write down something uh, as the Lord touches your heart with it. But most of all, we are here not to hear me, we are here to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is living word, is the Bible. And so as, as the word of God comes open to us today, we want to draw closer to him, we want to know him more. And I believe that will be the result if we'll put our minds to it this morning. Nothing is more important this week than this time right now. I have one person that agrees with me today. (laughs) Praise God. You know what amen means? So be it. All right? This is the most important time of your week right now. It is. And uh, tonight is going to be the most important time of your week as we gather around the Word of God. And I hope that you'll believe that. I hope that you give attention to the Word of God today. And uh, honestly, I can say that because it's not self-serving because it is about Jesus Christ. My goal today is to just open up the Word of God, to exposit it, to open it up and let us see what the Word of God has for us to say. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. That's the, that's the goal. And so let's do it. And so we're going to give our attention to it right now. And so I want you to think about this. Jesus has just asked, if you have ears, let, let, uh, let them hear. A man that has ears, let him hear. So uh, every one of you put your hands on your ears, right? Are these the ears that Jesus is talking about? Because every one of us, every one of his creation, were created with ears. Are these the ears that he's talking about? No. He's t- uh-oh. This is going to be a fun time. It's the ears of the heart. You can all have ears. You can have two ears today and not have your ears of your heart turned on. Your ears of your heart can be tuned into something way outside of this place. You could be listening to something right in this room and tuned completely out of this place. The most important time, listen... God is making available to each one of us his word. In this generation, he's made it available to us. And we need to hear it. Nothing is more important. No song, no show, no TV program. Nothing is more important than the word of God. And the problem with our country, the reason our country is moving away from God is you know, starting with God's people, we have not given the attention to God's word. Have you noticed what happens in churches? You notice how much... How much Placement is given to the word of God, 15 minutes. 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe. It has to be a short packed thing. Listen, it's not just about the length of a sermon. It is that we meet with God in his word. And friends, we need this today. You need this. I need this. We all, we all need what God is saying. So he says, I want, I want the ears of your heart to be opened up. Are the ears of your heart opened up this morning? You will, you will walk out of here and sometimes, believe it or not, every once in a while, People will blame the preacher of a church for not getting something from God's word. And perhaps it could be the preacher just w- was lousy, and, and he didn't do any, any work, and he just kind of came and was kind of half-cocked in his preaching. That, that's, that's possible. But many times we come into a service like this, and our ears aren't open to the word of God. Our heart is not open to the word of God. So with everything, I, I just say with what Jesus said right here, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, let him hear. And that's a command. Jesus is saying to you today, hey, if you're going to get anything out of today, you have to open up your ears. Don't blame it on people around you. Don't blame it on your family. You have to say it. And so it might be even right now in your heart, you say, oh God, there's a lot of distractions in my mind right now. I got a bill that I got to pay tomorrow. I don't know how it's going to be paid. I don't know how it's going to be taken care of. But right now, to the best of my ability, I need your help to open the ears of my understanding, the ears of my heart, to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God and to, to take it in that way. Now, here's what Jesus is going to be immediately begin with next. He's going to deal with, okay, if you have ears, let them hear. All right, so what's he going to talk about? He's talking about children. Now, I have children. And uh, you know what? They're, they're really restless. And what Jesus gets at right now, right now in this passage of scripture, he says, I want you to notice that there is a generational restlessness. And look at verse number 16. He says, uh, where shall I liken, Jesus always starts with questions, oftentimes he does, liken this generation, all right? So how, what, what illustration can I use uh, to help us understand what this generation is like? So he goes to children. It's like children sitting out in the marketplace and they're, they're sitting down and they're, 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 they're out of school and so forth. They're sitting down. They're just kind of having some free time and they're, they're calling out to their friends. Hey, why don't you come over and we've piped to you. Why don't we play wedding? Why don't we play wedding? Yeah, girls do that all the time from the youngest age. Through the youngest age, they, they play wedding. All they need is a guy to you know, kind of fit into their plan and they play, um, they play wedding. They say, hey, come over and play wedding. And sometimes I find this out in my own kids' lives. Hey, dad... She won't play with me. He won't play with me. Can you tell him to play with me? And you have all this going on, this bickering back and forth. Well, that's what was going on. Jesus was likening that generation to is on these children that are saying, come over and play, but they won't play with us. Uh, we've, we've piped, we've, we've, uh, we've uh, piped a song and you didn't come and play with us. And he says, well, let's play, let's play funeral. Uh, I haven't seen too many kids playing funeral. But he says, let's play funeral. We've, we've, we've uh, invited you to lament, but you haven't lamented. So here's the picture of this generation. It's constantly moving from extreme to extreme. If you walk through my house on a given day... Uh, you're going to find that my kids go from extreme to extreme. The last thing I told my kids, I needed to go out in the evening yesterday and do a little bit of, uh, do a little bit of work and, get, and getting ready for today. And, uh, and so I, I said, the last thing I said, I want to make sure that when I walk down to your rooms that there is nothing on the floor. There's nothing on the floor, all right? So you think that's pretty clear instruction, because I know they go through one thing to the next. They go from playing with their Legos to playing with a game to having it all over Settlers of Gatan or the train game or whatever, and it's just, it's uh, sprawled out everywhere. You know, and it, it, goes, it goes in every every different room. So they're running from extreme to extreme, extreme to extreme. Let's play outside. Let's go swimming. Let's do this. Let's go, you know, let's play ball. And you know how it is. You know You know what I'm talking about. And so... And this is what's going on. So I walked downstairs to, to pray with the kids. They were asleep to pray with the kids. And you know what? Shock of shocks. Their floor is full of these, these, these uh, little erector sets. And I jam my feet all over, all over. Cars, Legos, things all over. Yes, my kids don't always obey. But you know, it, it's, it's just a picture. They're going from extreme to extreme. Get out this, get out that. And that's what Jesus is saying. This generation is a, a restless generation generation they're in constant motion they're constantly going from one extreme to another and they're bouncing from one thing to another that's exactly the generation that Jesus was ministering to and we say well you know what we've we've progressed so far in our generation because we have cars now, and we have computers, and we have iPhones that sap all the life out of us, and we have, we have uh, news anchors, and we have all these different things, we have all this amazing technology, we have homes, we have air conditioning, we have, all of, we have microwaves, we can cook things right away, they didn't dream of that in the past years, they, they had to put them in you know, ovens and bake it over the fire, they didn't dream of it, we have all this, these advances, no, we're still the same, we're a restless generation, jumping from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. You know about news cycles? You know about news cycles? They talk about this. It's a news, how long can they keep them caught up before they need to run on to something else, right? We are a restless generation, constantly looking for the next crisis, the next big thing. Why is it? Why is it that one company, I'm thinking of Samsung, can use the same thing over and over to get people to stand in line and buy the new device? It's the next big thing. It's the next big thing. Apple, uh, it's, a new, it's a new operating system, it's a new phone. Get everyone to stand in line. The next big thing, we're constantly jumping from the next, the next thing to the next, and it, it goes down to our philosophies. The philosophies that come up, we think right now, and I'll get into this at a later time, but we think right now of CRT and critical race theory and all the things. We're jumping from philosophy to philosophy. We get all these things that jump up and they come and they dominate and our generation's constantly just restless going after the next big thing. This is the answer to all of our problems. If we'll just uh, make sure that everyone has equal uh, uh, equal, equal results and not equal opportunity, we'll have all these, these good things will come upon our country and there's the ne- next big thing, next philosophy, next theory, the next self help book the next guru that's uh, you know has all the answers this is the person whether that be a 12 year old or whether that you know whether that be uh, someone who is uh, seasoned in years uh, the next uh, the next big uh, guru or the person that has all the the understanding so we're in the same situation the same restlessness is involved in our generation do you sense that do you see that in our generation? Do you see that in the people that you work with? Do you see that out in the community? We're constantly looking for someone, uh, something else. Well, that didn't work out. Well, you only gave it a day to try it. That's one of the things that I find amazing about uh, Christianity and, and people's perspective towards Christianity. They expect, well, I came to church once, so my life should all get back together. No, <laughs> it's not like that. The, Jesus calls us to walk with him and to and to live out our lives with him. He calls us to remain in him, continue with him, abide with him, allow the word of God to continue in. But our generation is constantly being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and God desires to pull us out of all that and pull us to himself. And so as we consider that, they were a generation constantly in motion, like kids going from one play event to the next. And so that's what Jesus saw. But what else did he see in verse number 18? Look at it with me. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he hath the devil. What's going on here? He's contrasting the fact that God sent two messengers to this generation. Can you imagine being a generation that saw Jesus walk on earth? Can you imagine that? Wouldn't you have liked to have lived, if there was any other time in human history to live, wouldn't that have been a fun time to to live? Wouldn't it have been fun to watch Jesus feed? Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, wouldn't it have been amazing to be able to watch Jesus uh, feed the 5,000? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it have been amazing to watch him raise Lazarus? Can you imagine being in that generation? That's amazing. We aren't. We, we will one day see him. But you think about that generation got to see two of the greatest messengers, obviously Jesus being it, the, the best, the greatest, The ultimate messenger but he himself said of john that there's no uh, no greater born among women so you think about that two of the greatest messengers came and they preached john's job was to to prepare the way of the lord that was prophesied from the from the old testament and that was his job he was to make straight the way of the lord his baptism was all about preparing people to receive the lord jesus christ so that was his job. And so as, as John did that, and he, uh, do you remember what he ate? Locust and wild honey. And you remember what he wore? Camel's hair vest. He had a leather girdle. So he's just this guy, like, very, very eccentric. And he was kind of, you know, his diet wasn't pleasurable. It wasn't comfort food. Not at all. It was just Utilitarian. And so he's just like, hey, you know, there's a locust. You know, can you imagine biting the head off a locust? I mean, just real fun. So he's eating this. I wonder if it's still rattling in the mouth and that that type of thing. But anyway, um, he's eating wild honey. It's just, it's, you know, kind of disgusting. But everyone's like, this guy must be demon possessed. Well, Jesus comes along and he's sitting in the restaurants and in the homes with the publicans and the sinners. The publicans being the tax collectors, right? So the Jewish people, because they were under the domination of Rome did not much care for the tax collectors that came from Rome because they were legitimately thieves. They would add on to the tax uh, beyond what Rome required them to collect. And so uh, when, when they're saying he ate with the publicans, they're like, boy, they, he ate with our enemies and with sinners, those that we don't keep any company with. So imagine all these religious people, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the religious leaders are saying, and this, this guy, he comes and he just eats with these people. What a glutton, what a drunkard, is what they're saying. And they're just labeling him in that way. And still, that's the way that our world does things. They label, uh, they, they label like that. And so here's, here's what's going on. These people receive the greatest messengers ever to walk the face of the earth. And they could not be satisfied. This restless generation was not satisfied when God sent John the Baptist, though he was kind of weird in the way that he came across personally in his engagement, but he was a, a, a man sent from God to, to, to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way of the Messiah, and Jesus himself was not accepted by these people. He, they were not satisfied with him. They criticized both John and Jesus. And so what's going on here? This generation cannot be satisfied. And I, again, draw a conclusion to our generation. Our generation cannot be satisfied. Uh, Have you ever ever noticed how people don't seem to be satisfied with thus saith the Lord? Well, there has to be a better way. You mean... If I'm going to have eternal life, it's just simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I am, I'm saved. There has to be a more spectacular, more glorious, more self-aggrandizing way to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and yet, this is John 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, help me, was God. And you know that people today still want something more than Jesus to guide their lives by more than Jesus, more spectacular. You know what? I like this guy because he has a huge following. He has 32,000 people that gather on a Sunday, and he tells me that every day can be a Friday. That's spectacular. You all know who I'm talking about? I'll just say it, Joel Olstein. It has one of the largest churches in the country. People follow because it's spectacular. It's, it's comforting. It's, it's reassuring. It's, it's helpful to me. Every day can be a Friday. That is a flat-out lie. And it is nowhere close to Scripture. Now, now I want, you to, I want you to follow through on that. Jesus himself has declared that if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And he says those that have done that... In this life, are going to be blessed. and In the next life, they're going to have eternal life, which is, can't be compared to anything. So we might go through some trials here, right? We're going to have the blessing of Jesus walking through, uh, through life with us if we've accepted him. And in the next life, it's eternal life. It's forever with God. What could be better than forever with God? To this day, I've had one person tell me, I don't want to go to heaven. That sounds really boring. Just within the last two months, I had someone when I was witnessing tell me that. And it's amazing. I just want to stay here. I want America. Well, America is on a fast road in a a direction you don't want to be here forever, right? Uh, It's pretty amazing. But to be with God for eternity. And Jesus says, hey, this this is what I'm offering. And yet they were not satisfied. And they were not satisfied with him as the living, walking, breathing word of God among them. And today our our culture is running as fast away from this, our generation is running as fast away from this as they possibly can. Nothing is new under the sun, friends. We live in a restless generation just like Jesus was ministering to. And yes, they criticized both the messenger of Jesus, the preachers that were declaring the truth, and they also declared, uh, they, they, they criticized the, the truth itself, Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God. So this restlessness, Jesus goes on in the following verses and begins to illustrate where is this scene? What does this restlessness produce? What does this... This constant movement from philosophy to philosophy, from, from person to person. What does this produce? What does this lack of satisfaction produce? And notice it produces a great rejection in verse 20 through 26. And notice he brings out three cities. Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. Now you say, I've, I've heard of Capernaum before, but uh, Chorazin, uh, I've, not, I've not heard of this. Jesus, uh, in these three cities, he, he highlights around Galilee, that's where it is. So this is north of Israel, north of Jerusalem. There's a Mediterranean Sea that you see there. And so I've, I have put that in your notes as well so you can see it, uh, see it later. But these three, these three uh, cities at the top, the north end of the Sea of Galilee, and then there's Tiberias, which would have also been a very prominent city around the Sea of Galilee. He did not mention them. He mentions the three at the top of, of the Sea of Galilee. These is prominent cities. In fact, did you notice he said of Capernaum, you're exalted unto the heavens? Did you notice that? So this city had a lot of pride. This city had, they were kind of high on themselves. They, they were a prominent city. So all three of these cities, Jesus came into, and they rejected him. Now notice in verse number 20, it says, he began to upbraid, to sharply criticize. How many of you understand that the Bible has the right to criticize our lives? Now you hear a lot in these days, judge not, judge not, judge not. That's what the Bible says, does it not. I, I, I'll tell you something. The Bible has the right to judge our lives. It does. And if you and I are declaring truth, sometimes it's going to bring, bring people into conflict with the word of God. Now the heart, how we do that, the Bible tells us to do it in love. To speak the truth in love. But you cannot get away from the judgment of God's word right now. And you don't want to because if you do not heed it now, you will one day heed it when it's too late when you stand before him. So, so he sharply criticizes these cities. This wasn't because he, was, he, he could not stand them. This wasn't because he had a hatred towards them. No, the reason he was in the cities was because he loved them with a greater love than any man could ever show to these cities. And so he's there among the cities, among the townspeople, in the public square, around the coffee shops, around the restaurants, around the people's homes, and he's doing many wonderful works. But notice, he says, he began to upbraid the cities. Why? Because they repented not. Say that out loud with me. Because they repented not. What does it mean to repent? You know, some people throw around this word and, and they, uh, they get a wrong idea of it. Repent does not mean to turn over a new leaf. Can I get an amen on that? It's not you turning over a new leaf. Now, there are many denominations that teach you that you need to repent, you need to confess, and it's just turn over a new leaf. I'll do better. I'll do better this week. I'll have a better Monday. No, you'll never get anywhere with God just turning over a new leaf. In fact, what I'm calling you to, what the invitation is calling you to, is not just to turn over a new leaf. We all need to have that understanding. Whether you have walked with Jesus for many years or whether you still need to step into a relationship with him, you need to understand it's not turning over a new leaf. Repentance, biblical repentance is this. It is a change of mind. It's a change of mind. There's a lot of thinking and thoughts and philosophies around these days, is there not? There absolutely is. And the fact is if a generation, if uh, an individual person is going to turn to Jesus Christ from all that the world says, be good enough and, and follow, uh, you know, follow the golden rule and, and if you're better than the next guy, you'll make it to heaven. God loves everybody and he would never send anybody to hell and, 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 and all these different philosophies. If, if we're going to come to Jesus Christ, there has to be a change of mind that results in a change of direction and ultimately a change of action. That is biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is is in conjunction, hand in glove, with the act of faith. So as I realize I am going the wrong direction, I repent and say... Ah, I place faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start walking towards him. I'm going to start embracing his truth and following after him. That's biblical repentance. It goes together. Faith and repentance go together. So isn't any wonder Satan has confused the idea of repentance. We can, we can, be, you know, we can uh, draw near to God or we can be accepted of God if we just simply turn over a new leaf. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to beat up my wife anymore. Okay, there's other, you know, other sins, I, uh, you understand, but some people need to do that and take care of that one. I'm, I'm not going to uh, uh, abuse anymore. You, whatever the sin is, I'm not going to do it anymore. It, listen, that we have to change our minds about ourselves, about what we've been believing, and turn to Jesus Christ. And so here's what's going on. He's saying, you guys have missed it. You have not repented, and therefore I'm sharply criticizing you. I'm calling you into account, and he has every right to to do that. So think about it. They had rejected what? They had rejected, first of all, the visible proofs of his deity, of who he was as the Messiah. Now, he came into this city, and I want you to notice in verse number 20, that middle phrase. He sharply criticized them, wherein most of his mighty works were done. Most of his mighty works were done. You know, every um, piece of scripture has importance. God didn't just tell us that most of the mighty works were done in those cities on accident. He told us that because he wanted to know us to know that Jesus had spent some time in those cities and those cities had seen much of the power of God. Most of the mighty works, most of the mighty works were done inside those cities and those cities rejected Him. Listen, friends, I... I I I need to apply this to our our own country and to our generation because I don't want you to get the idea of us this being a 2,000-year-old book that doesn't have any relevance to today. But listen, if any country on earth has ever had great light and many mighty works of God, it has been America. And yet America today stands in rejection and unrepentance towards Almighty God. We live in, in the same situation and so here, if we understand it, these mighty works, most of them were done there. Not the same to the same visible level as we have received, but they had many mighty works. What are these mighty works? There is miracles. Something only God can do. Well, what were they? It was exactly what Jesus told the disciples of John to bring back in word to John in prison. Hey, when you go back to John the Baptist there in prison, I want you to let him know this. Verse number five. Chapter 11, the blind receive their sight. Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty amazing. The lame walk. Hmm. The lepers are cleansed. There's no hospitals, there's no doctors that could take care of that. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. Pretty awesome. The dead are raised up. Wow. If, that's, if that isn't enough, here's the, the other thing that happens the gospel, the good news. That a person can be saved from their sins, fully forgiven, and have a home in heaven with God for all eternity is preached to the poor, to those that are humble in heart. Yes. Wow. All that was happening? Yeah, those mighty works were all happening in every one of those cities. Can you imagine walking through the city and, uh, you know, different parts, of the, uh, different parts of even our Miami Valley, it's amazing how people respond to funeral, funeral processions. Uh, if, you're, if, you're up, uh, if you're up north and in the country, uh, it was in a funeral procession, and everyone uh, is standing to the side of the road. I even saw people get, uh, on their, their lawn tractors take off their hat and bow their head. I saw one man, it was at your mom's funeral, one man standing on, do you, do you remember that? Standing on the hillside, putting his hand over his heart. I was in a funeral down, uh, down in the Springboro area, and it was like people were trying to gun it through the funeral procession. So there's varying respects, and I, I commented to my wife, there's such a respect out here in the country uh, towards, towards funeral procession, but can you imagine going through that and, uh, and you know uh, the, the person in the casket comes to life? <laughs> now, this is the mighty works that are being talked about. That's pretty amazing. Like, you would really have to be a pretty obstinate person not to say, you know what? I think this guy has something to say. I'm going to listen to it. He was bringing people back to life. The dead were raised. That's amazing. And, and with all of that, he never detach those mighty works from the preaching of the gospel and many times a day there are whole denominations that are so focused on the mighty works of God and we want to see the mighty works of God and have forgotten the the true mighty work which is to save a sinful soul and reconcile them to the heavenly father that's a mighty work and all these were done in Chorazin Capernaum and also in Bethsaida, and this was all going on. And so you think about this. They rejected that truth. They did not repent. They did not repent when Jesus proclaimed himself to be the answer to man's sin. They did not repent. Nicodemus said in John 3 and verse number 2, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher um, that come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Wow, they saw all this. How many of you ever had a Kirby vacuum cleaner salesman stop by your house? <laughs> Only a couple? Anyone? Okay, we have anyone else? Yeah. Okay, so that's an interesting thing um, we did when we were at Carlisle uh, in Dayton, and uh, my wife was still wondering why you weren't going to buy the thing. Why did you? Well, got a clean floor out of it, but it was interesting to watch uh, watch this whole thing, and so and I. I I felt bad because he needs to make these presentations. Okay, so I, I, I fell into it. And so I, I'm listening to this. Um, but they're, they're, they're doing this. You know how they have those little, um, those little white discs that they put instead of the bags so they can show how much dirt they're pulling out of your carpet. And we had been using that carpet deodorizer. And so all sorts of fun grit came out of our carpet. And he's like, don't do that on your carpet. You know, you ruin your carpet. And so he's, he's making this whole um, presentation. And those things are not cheap, right? I mean, you need to mortgage your house. Uh, to be able to, you know, sell a kid or something like that, you know, in order to—I'm just kidding—in um, order to uh, buy one of these things, they're not cheap. Uh, so just imagine after you know this salesman has has shown this to you, and boy, he's he's, he's vacuuming your carpet, and it's, it's feeling—it's even feeling better, and it's it's pretty amazing. And uh, and then he goes, you know, just today uh, I've gotten word that I'm allowed to give away one of these for free as a gift, and so. Uh, I, I'm going to give this to your family. I, I see this is going to be uh, difficult for you to buy, and I'm I'm allowed to give this away as a free gift. And you say, you know, what, I'd rather not. I'm gonna, and then you you run over to uh, over to Walmart. You need a vacuum. You run over to Walmart and buy a Black and Decker uh, dustbuster, you know, to fill your need. And it's like, you no, know, this is this is this is, pardon it, but stupidity. It's you know, it it, it lacks re- uh, a reason. Okay, and so uh, you think about that. This is what's going on in the city. To a to a much you know, an infinitely greater uh, extreme is they're seeing the mighty works. Kirby's do a good job, don't they? They really do. I mean, they're heavy as all get out, but they, you know, they do a good job. And, and you think about the, the extreme of, of rejecting something that is offered to you free. I see you now. Yeah. And, and, and settling for something far, far less. And that's what they did their own religions remember these people were dominated by the pharisees who walked around you know loving to see people pray on the you know street corners this this arrogance of constantly trying to achieve and keep all the 610 uh uh, laws and plus then and you can only go this far on the sabbath day you can only walk this many steps and then you just kind of have to wait till uh, uh sunset before you can go any further you know all these laws that are going on that they were dominated by and they they rejected jesus christ and kept on with that, that could give them no hope of eternal life. You know what people are doing today? Well, you know what? I reject Jesus Christ and the free gift that he offers, but I think I'll be able to make it. I think I will be able to get there. I hope I will be able to get there. And they're constantly doing the same thing. And so uh, they're rejecting the visible proofs of, of who he was as the Messiah. And so what does Jesus do? He pronounces woes. Now, it's not a great thing when you're talking about Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, pronouncing a woe against you. You say, what's a woe? Uh, it is a, a statement of pity, sorrow, but of also of judgment. And so to these cities, he's saying, listen, you've received great light, so great light that the heathen cities, if they had had that same light, they would have responded, right now, if I was able to Teleport into a, another country that does not have a church like this, does not have the Bible in their language, and begin to speak their language and preach the gospel, many would come to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's hungry people all across this world. We stand in the same exact situation of, of being a people that have rejected the light as a generation, and that's what was going on there. And they're raised up in their pride there in Capernaum, exalting themselves. God says, I will have the ultimate say, you'll be brought down to hell and destruction. Mm. Some people say, well, if I ever saw a real miracle happen, then I would believe. Well, you know, I showed you that picture of the sunrise yesterday morning. Can you raise the sun? Can you make it rise in the morning? Can you set the fog there? Uh, can, you, can you keep the stars in their place and not, you know, not allow them to, to hit into earth, you know, to fall out of the sky and hit, you know, hit into earth? Can you do any of that? The Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. All around us in creation, God is saying, I've done this miracle and this miracle. You can't do that either. And he asks, you remember in the book of Job, when Job thought he was pretty big stuff? And God starts to ask him all these questions. Can you do that? Can you, uh, can you give breath? Can you, uh, can you uh, know where, where the sun sets? Can you know all these things? No, you can't do any of it. Bye, bye, bye. Who makes the sun to rise? God does. Who keeps the stars in the sky? God does. Who keeps the, the planets from running into each other? God does. Hmm. Who forms a child in the mother's womb? Jeremiah one and verse number five. Before, uh, before I knew you, before I knew you, I I formed you and I called you. That's our God. And David talks about in Psalm one thirty nine being formed in his mother's belly. God is the one that does that. And anyone that has watched a birth realizes there's a miracle that happens there. God does that. Who keeps the atomic nucleus from blowing apart? Who keeps it together? By the way, if you don't believe that there's an all-out assault on, on truth in our generation, you know, if you'll go and Google about this right now, you won't find anything religious or anything that even refers to God about it uh, coming up in the search. If you go choose over to another search engine, you'll find out that some of the stuff that is there and, and, and exalts God, some of the things that give answer to this, ah, they all of a sudden pop up. If you don't think there's an all-out assault on the information that you and I are receiving in this day, about truth it it is it is it is right there that that astounded me as I was looking into this but you know there has been so much debate what holds the atomic nucleus together what holds it together and uh, there's no explanation for that God has to Uh, I think there's a verse in the Bible Colossians 1 and verse number 17 and he is before all things and by him all things consist consist you know what that word consist means to band together by him, all things consist. What holds your body together? You say to the doctor, no, he does not. That God himself holds you together. And I even think about, even in, in birth, how in the world that all works out, and it's an amazing thing what God has, has made. I, I remember uh, in some of the harder births, Sierra was a, was a very difficult birth for my wife. She was our biggest child, and I thought the doctor was going to pull that baby apart. Trying to, uh, trying to help uh, and, and bring that birth uh, through. But you know, just an amazing, amazing thing, how God holds everything together. And so it's an amazing thing when you think about it. at the end of time, God says that the earth is going to melt with a fervent heat, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to blow apart. God's going to, essentially all God has to do is take his hands off of it and it falls to, falls to pieces. And that is our God. Miracles happen around us every single day. The Bible says in Romans 1 and verse 20: for the invisible things of Him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as the eternal power in Godhead. So God tells us that, that we are able to know God by looking around us and seeing His handiwork. His creation all around us. It declares the glory of God. It's constantly preaching a message. God exists. There was an intelligent designer. This didn't all happen by chance. We aren't millions and millions and now billions and billions of years old. You ever noticed how we just keep on adding millions? Like, does it get more believable if we have more millions on? And it's pretty amazing. None of us were there, and they weren't either. And so it's an amazing thing. Miracles happen all around us every day that men try to explain away. They see with their very eyes and we in this generation still stand in condemnation of God because we have seen all this and yet we reject the truth of the creator. All around us. Well, we, we just happened. Nowhere else. Nowhere else do we believe it just happened. Nowhere. You guys that work in construction, the houses just don't happen. Nothing gets better. Everything gets worse, right? Uh, your house falls apart without your help and you picking it up. Uh, dishes don't get better. They don't get washed in the sink on their own. They get, they're worse unless something happens. Do you understand, everything has to, have, has to have a cause, and that cause is, is God himself. And I want you to think about this verse, Titus 2 and verse number 11. In that God has declared himself in all of creation, the Bible tells us, for the grace of God, that bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men. Say, how is that possible? All around us. The general revelation of God, yes, there's a specific revelation of God in his word, but the general revelation of God declares God exists, we're accountable to him, and he can save us. He himself can save us. And so, all these miracles were happening around them, and they were rejecting it. Now, think about this. Rejection never remains neutral. A person in rejection of God will go further and further into that rejection and further and further into darkness. It never remains neutral. That is why when the Bible says today is the day of salvation, every single person ought to listen very carefully because rejection always goes further. So what happened here? I want you to notice in verse number 25. And at that time, what did Jesus do? I can't believe you guys aren't believing this. I, I, this, is, this is awful. He doesn't, he doesn't go any further. He just stops, and you know what he does? He prays. And I have, I have taken a cue from the Lord in this. As I prepared for this, I think this is exactly what we must remember to do. There are times that people will spew out their unbelief. The world around you at work is going to spew out their unbelief. And you can go toe-to-toe and try to reason them into the kingdom of God. This is a spiritual matter. And friends, I want you to encourage you uh, to do exactly what Jesus did. And he simply just says, Father, I thank you that you've hid these things from the wise and prudent. This is not something that you can come to by your intelligence. This is a matter of faith. This is a wooing of the Holy Spirit on your heart. Do you believe that this morning? This is God drawing you to, uh, to yourself through the person of Jesus Christ and in his, in his word. And so as you, as you think about this, he says uh, these things are hid. They're obscured from the, the wise and the prudent, from the intellectuals and the, the arrogant. Now think about that. All throughout, our, all throughout our culture, there's all these people that, that, that rise above God. Well, we're smarter than God. We, we can tell you how you came to be even though we weren't there you talk about the absolute arrogance of our culture. We can explain, exactly, Darwin, we can explain how how this all came to be. You weren't there. And you say, well, neither were you, Pastor. Right, but we have the word of God that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There it is, God himself declaring who uh, who he was 53 times, as we learned in growth group this morning, over and over throughout the Bible, 53 times the word create uh, is found in the Bible and constantly underscoring the fact that God is the one who created the universe. And so what an amazing thing that that is. And so this truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of who the creator is and, and his salvation and that he offers is all hid from those that are wise and prudent, from the intellectuals and the arrogant, those that that rise above God and say, I know better than God. It's all hid. It's obscured. You say, well, that doesn't sound very loving. They rejected God first. Do you hear me? They rejected God first. And as they rejected, they walked into greater and greater darkness. And I tell you, I don't care if you're listening to this on this message today or 10 years from now, if you are rejecting God right now, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you must repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Because you will walk further and further into darkness and it will lead you down a path that is going to destroy your life and ultimately will end up in, the he- uh, in hell fire. And it's an awful thing. So he says, this is hid from them. They're walking into greater darkness. No one should go there. No one wants to go there, but they do. They do. They go as they reject Jesus Christ. Madeline Murray O'Hare, maybe you recognize that name. She's long since passed on. And, uh, and by the way, now absolutely believes that there's a creator God because she stood before him. But she said this. She said, religion is a crutch. The only, only the crippled need crutches. Now, that's been reiterated many, many times by many people who have you know, quoted her and, and, and so forth, and they've different renditions of that. Why does that matter? She died in 1995, but she was the founder of the American Atheists, she starred in a movie called Godless in America. Um, she was greatly rejected by, by mu- much of America, but she, she pioneered some thoughts, and, and she was a leader in some thoughts, and her whole thing was a rejection of, of God. It's interesting. She went to college here in Ohio at a Brethren College called Ashland College. In a Christian college, And yet she she went on to reject God and lead many, many others to reject God. And rising above God, she's, religion, religion is a crutch. Only the crippled, only you who can't get on with life on your own need that crutch. Now we've heard presidents say that type of stuff. We've We've heard average citizens say that type of stuff. Well, I don't need it, it's just a crutch. Friends, this is exactly what that culture did. They rejected Jesus Christ. We don't need him. And so Jesus says, well, the fact is, this doesn't erase the fact, that to the wise and the prudent, to the, to the intellectuals and to the, to the arrogant, the things of God are hid. Satan has blinded their eyes. Friends, I cannot underscore the importance of realizing that about our society and praying praying for the supernatural conviction of the Holy Spirit to break through the blindness and to bring to bring the realization that God is real into their hearts. You can't do that, and I can't do that. So who is it revealed to? Who is it made manifest to? It's to the babes. It's to the babes. To those that are helpless, to those that are poor, to those that are needy. They need the help. Friends, the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, chapter number five, that that. The poor in spirit the ones that receive the kingdom of God. So you have to be poor. You have to be humble before the Lord. The Bible tells us the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise... Are you with me? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God exalts himself above all of that. We are finite. God is infinite and he is far above all these things. And he says, I'm going to destroy all this. It doesn't, the, the intellectuals uh, and their arguments and the arrogant, arrogance and their, their statements does not diminish who God is and what he has said. It's still truth. And he says, I've hid it to them but I've made it very clear to those that need, those that are humble in heart. Romans 1, verse 21, it says that their foolish hearts were darkened. God continues to darken the heart. If you're hearing this message and you are a believer, you ought to pray for those that are around you that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and you ought to beg God, beg God before it's too late, that their eyes would be opened to the truth of Jesus Christ. They're ever learning, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7, we'll look at this verse tonight, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Never able to get there. They're ever learning. Well, what does this podcast say? What does this YouTube, what does this preacher say? What does this book say? They're ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just further into darkness. Why? Because they've rejected the creator. They've rejected him. So there's a difference between the childlike faith that's talked about here Jesus is saying this is who it's revealed to In the childishness that goes on in our society, the constant running back and forth everywhere. And so as we move along, much more could be said about that, and I want to hasten along. I I want us to understand this is the the setup to what Jesus is going to say in verse number 28. All that Jesus has just said and preached to this generation, you're restless and you've given a great rejection against me. All this sets up what he is now going to say to this, this crowd. He's prayed to his father And he says, with all of this, Christ now invites all those who will humbly acknowledge their need for him, all those to come to him and find rest for their souls. Notice the genuine rest that he's offering. This rest that we've been talking about and this rest that we're going to talk about today and also next Sunday in the Sunday morning service, this rest is the rest of salvation. The rest of knowing that uh, your eternity is secured the rest of, of knowing that you don't have to strive and do more in order to be accepted of God, that you're already accepted. Jesus is the only savior that offers you acceptance and love up front and then asks you to serve from that, that acceptance and love. Every other Lord in our lives and in our world that wants to be our Lord is constantly saying, do this, do this, perform, do this, and then you'll be accepted and loved. Jesus is the exact opposite. He says, I love you. I will accept you if you come to me by faith and then serve me out of that acceptance, which is an amazing, amazing thing. And so he's calling us into that rest. I was talking to Miss Trish today, uh, yesterday, and she says, as I've gone into surgery, she's had three back surgeries over the past couple of weeks, and she says, you know what, Pastor, I didn't even worry. It was just I was at rest. I was at rest. And I thought, you know what, that, that is so picturesque of when you know that your home is settled in heaven. You can go into a surgery. You can be intubated, as she was, you can have all sorts of complications and at the end of the day still say, you know what, I'm at rest. Why? Because my heaven settled. I remember, Miss Gail, when you were intubated with COVID and, and how God pulled you out of that and the, the, you know, just the miracle of you sitting here today. Talk about a miracle of God, right? And uh, we've enjoyed Miss Joanne being on um, being more and just, just God's goodness. We can get sick by a virus we can't see and, and God's goodness and the miracles of all that. And you think about that just to be at rest, though, knowing my eternity settled. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. When Larry Carr stood here and gave that testimony and says, either way I win. If I die, I win. If I stay alive, I win. What is that? That's rest. That's what we're talking about. It's rest. I'm completely at rest in the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has can offer knowing that your eternity is safe and settled is true rest. And that is what Jesus is inviting this crowd into, this rejecting crowd, or I should say this crowd that is gathered around that's enveloped by cities that are rejecting him. And so he says, come to me, that's true rest. So is this rest found in in meditation? Well, some people in our world would like to say that. Well, just meditate and you'll come into this rest. Empty your mind. You'll come into this rest. Uh, Through a pilgrimage... Uh, if you go to a, 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 a city across the seas and you take a pilgrimage to, and, and find yourself, you hear about that. Find yourself that'll bring you into rest. Listen, anytime I find myself, I find a mess. You understand what I 'm talking about? There is nothing in me that is good. There's nothing in me that is good apart from God, apart from Jesus. So finding myself is not the answer to rest. I just I have more headaches when I find and discover myself in fact. Isaiah said this way in Isaiah 6, woe is me, when he got a glimpse of himself, he says, woe is is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the people of unclean lips. So finding yourself on a pilgrimage isn't going to do it to a certain church or religion. Being here is not bringing you into rest. You with me? There are many who gather in churches, and, and they think that it's getting them somewhere just by gathering in the church. This is not a social club. This does not get you any more favor with God sitting in that seat. You say, well, why do I come then? Well, because you're accepted of the Lord. If you've accepted him as your Savior, you're accepted and loved by Jesus Christ. And so you want to be with the people that are accepted and loved of Christ. Amen. Right? So it's, it's not really hard to gather in this place today, tonight, and, and, and this evening because this is something that God wants us, wants us to do or we do because because we're accepted and loved of him. We, we do it as an outflow. And so it's not by going to church that we find this, this rest. It's not by doing a life of good works. That's not where we find the rest. None of that gives us rest. The people that are basing their eternity off of the good works that they do, they will not find rest. They're in constant turmoil, constantly striving, constantly working, constantly seeking after. And so here's what it is. Jesus said in verse 27, it's only revealed through me. It's only revealed through me. Look at the last phrase there. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him, the Father. It says, no one knows the Father but me. No one knows the Son but the Father. And no one knows the Father but to whom I am able to reveal him to. So there's, you did not come to knowledge of the Father. You did not come into reconciliation with the Father apart from the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and apart from the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't come to the Father any other way. As Luther says this, he says, Here the bottom falls out of all merit, all powers, all abilities of reason, or the, free will, uh, or the free will men dream of, and it counts nothing before God. Christ must do and must give absolutely everything. It's all up to Christ. It's all through Christ. So What are you saying? So Jesus alone reveals the Father. Say it out loud with me, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There it is, once again. God was in Christ in the world, reconciling the world to himself, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 19. So where does that bring us? It brings us to a 17-word invitation. You say, that's a long introduction. Yes, it is. But you know, sometimes we, we lift one piece of Scripture out, and we say, boy, this sounds really good. I can put that on my calendar. I can put that on my screensaver. I can put that somewhere. I can write that down. It sounds really good. Do we know the background? Well, now you do. It's all one big message that Jesus was preaching, and now he's giving the invitation 17 words that will change a person's life, 17 words that you can use on your coworker this week, that you can call them to and say, don't reject what God has done in creation. Don't don't be restless jumping from one thing. God has already revealed himself in the word of God. Now, listen to the invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's break it apart. Come requires a choice. Jesus did not say do. He said come. Every other religion in the world says do. Go to mass. Go to confession. Go to, these, on the, on, to church. Go and do the good, on good works. They're all saying do. Perform. Do something in order to be good enough for God. And he says come to me. I'm your goodness. I'm your righteousness. I'm the way. I'm the door. I'm the one that you need to believe in. Aren't you thankful when someone can take a really complex thing and make it super simple? Here's what Jesus did. All these other things, forget them. Just come to me. I'm the door, and if you'll enter through me, you'll be saved. I, I, I'm the good shepherd. If you follow me, you'll be on your way. I, I'm it. If you believe on me, you have everlasting life. That's it. That's it. It's simple. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, come, for the wages of sin is death. How burdening that is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Simple. Come. No one is born having already come. You were not born into Christianity. Can I say that again? You were not born into Christianity. I hear people all the time say, well, I've always been saved. No, you have not. That lie might take you to hell. Every one of us has to come to a point of understanding. I am a sinner before a holy God. I can no longer reject him. I will repent, turn from my own philosophies and way of thinking, and turn to Jesus Christ I receive. So he says, come. Now notice he says, come all ye that labor. What's this talking about? All the activity, the tiring, the exhaustion, the state of weariness from trying to be good enough for God. He says, come away from that. Come from all your you're trying to achieve. What a tiring life. If you think that your life is based on your acceptance before God one day at the judgment is based on how good you perform. You, you talk about just a, a constant, tiring burden. I gotta do this because I, I gotta be accepted of God. I wanna be accepted of God. I, I, I wanna have eternal life, so I gotta do this and I gotta do this. That will burn a person out and will land them in hell. Yes. And so he says, come all ye that labor. All you that are exhausted by the pressures of all these religions trying to be a good person and are heavy laden. He says to you that that are laboring, you're active, trying to be good enough for God. And also you that are heavy laden, those that have been burdened down with the oppression and the the burden of your guilt and the burden of unforgiven sin. And the Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard. It's hard. Friends, one of the reasons that we as believers should love people and, and communicate with them and show them the grace of God in our daily life is because most people that you come into contact with are walking about life under the burden, the immense burden of guilt and unforgiven sin that they might not even tell you about. And so you're, you're, you're mad at your waiter for not being, being kind. Well, you don't know the, the burden of guilt that they're under. Pray for them. Help them along. Um, so he says, "All you that labor and are heavy laden." How many of you have ever read *Pilgrim's Progress*? It's worth worth a read. Um, I we used to listen to it as kids. You can get the dramatized um, version of it to play to your kids. But do you remember Christian is his name? The main subject, Christian. He became a Christian, uh, not just a name uh, in reality. Uh, but he's he's wrestling with this burden. Everywhere he went, he had this burden. No one else understood it and saw it. By the way, that's the same in our lives. People don't, the world doesn't understand and see the burden of sin, but he had this burden. He couldn't get off his back. It was not until that he came to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that the burden fell off. That's rest, friends. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. You're burdened down by it. And my favorite verse in all the Bible is Psalm 103 and verse number 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Removed, lifted the burden, and gave me rest. Wow, that's our God. How, how amazing is that? I, I would think that some of you would just about wanna shout right, right about there and thinking about the day that the burden came off your, your soul. Praise God, praise God. And friends, we cannot get over that Now, he says, I will give you rest. This is a completed thing. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to gift this rest to you. If you will come, that means you have to acknowledge, I am uh, burdened down, and I am heavy laden. I'm tired out from my sin. So it demands us to admit those things in the coming. There's the the repentance and faith. I I realize this about myself, and now I'm coming to you because you are the only source of rest, and that's what you're offering to me. And so he says, I will reconcile you to my Father. I will recreate you in righteousness and true holiness. In other parts of the Bible, he talks about that. I will cause you to rest up. I will refresh you. I will revive you. I will relieve you of the burden of your sin. I will take all this from you. And he gives this as a gift to all that will come. And to those that will not come, there is no rest. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked, is what the Bible says in the Isaiah. There's no peace, no rest. Therefore, being justified, being made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to either mark this in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter four and verse number three, because this is the underpinning of, of this, this message today. How do we get that rest? Well, I've said we, we have to come to him, but how do I access that rest? How do you access that rest? It says in Hebrews four and verse number three, for we which have believed do enter into rest. For we which have believed do enter into rest. I want us to understand, you will not get rest any other way. You cannot conjure this up yourself. We've already talked about that. There has to come a point where you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the rest. You believe what he's saying. You do not reject it. You believe what he's saying and you receive the rest. John 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my words... And believeth on him that sent me, half everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, praise God, but is passed from death unto life. And friends, there is no greater rest than right there. There is no greater rest. And every one of us can have that rest. And maybe you've been here and you've been walking in that rest for many years. Praise God. Today, what you need to do is you need to walk out of here with, a, with that, that greater confidence in your heart and a... And a A mindset that I'm going to give God praise every day of my life, that that God has brought me in that rest, that my my eternity is settled, it's secured, and I know that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna live from that rest. But I have no doubt there are people here that do not have that rest, have not yet entered into that rest because you've not accepted it. So there's the invitation. Jesus says, Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I might give you rest. No. We'll give you rest. It's a gift. It's a gift, but you have to receive it. You have to receive it. That means you're going to have to repent, turn from your own philosophies, your own way of doing things, and turn to Jesus Christ and receive that rest. And he says he gives it. Augustine of Hippo said many, many years ago, he said, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Is your heart restless this morning? Now, the second part of this we're going to talk about next week because as believers, sometimes we go back into restlessness. We don't need to. We're going to talk about that next week. But for right now, if you don't have that rest, if you've not entered into that rest, I invite you to receive Jesus Christ today and have that rest that only he can give. Would you bow with me in prayer? Listen as I I read a verse to you as you bow and just an attitude of, well, an attitude of submission to the Lord, an attitude of, Lord, I... I want you. Romans 10 and verse number 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Friends, as you bow there, has there been a time in your life where you've admitted in your heart that I am not righteous but Jesus alone is? And I need his righteousness in order to be good enough for God or in order to be accepted of God. Has there been a time in your life where you've come to that realization? I am a sinner. I deserve the judgment of God for my sin. I deserve hell. I find many people who will not say that because it is so difficult to say. I deserve eternity in a place called hell with the devil and his angels because of my sin against the Holy God. Has there come a time in your life where you have admitted that to your Creator? the one who gave us the word of God, has there been a time in your life where you have admitted that, where you have come to that that point of understanding? And then, has there been a time where you have received, where with the mouth you've confessed, I believe Jesus Christ is my only way to have rest, only way to have salvation, the forgiveness of sins, I accept that. And so what the Bible says, with the heart, with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today I'm inviting you, if you have not yet made that decision, today I'm inviting you to make that decision now. The Bible says this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Perhaps you say, Pastor, that's me. This morning, that's me. And I'd invite you to pray pray a prayer, something like this. My prayer will not save you. Could I get an amen there? My prayer will not save you. Your heart belief towards Jesus Christ. I trust something has changed in your heart this morning towards Jesus Christ. Your heart belief towards Jesus Christ. If it has changed and you call out to him from your heart saying, I I need you, I believe on you. The The only way for me to have rest, I receive that. I'd encourage you to pray a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are God. I believe that you died for all of my sins and rose again. I confess to you that I am a sinner and that I deserve the penalty of hell. I ask you to be my personal Savior right now. I accept that rest you're offering. I place in you 100% of my trust to come into my life and to take me to heaven someday. I accept this free gift of eternal life. Thank you for keeping your promise in answering this prayer. With our heads bowed, is there someone in this auditorium this morning for the first time, you've, you've come to that realization today and you've, you've called out to God from a heart of belief, you've confessed that to him, I'm a sinner. I prayed that prayer from my heart. Not because you said it, Pastor, but from my heart, I'm accepting this free gift of rest and eternal life today. If that's you this morning, would you mind just raising your hand? No one looking around, but would you mind raising your hand? I've accepted it. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. Anyone else? This is not for me. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. I would love to talk with you after the service and give you a gift that will help you. on your your way and answer any questions that you might have about this because it's a journey. And we'll talk next week about living out this rest for the rest of our lives. But for right now, we rejoice and all the angels of heaven rejoice uh, for those that have received the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise God.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. and we look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.